You got a problem, you don't know what to do. Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too. The world is full of mystery, life's more than you can see. You can ask pomegranate, you can ask pomegranate, she's a priestess. Hello psychics, spiritualists, mediums, mystics, shamans, welcome to the podcast. Today I want to talk a little bit about cults, because we have, you cannot practice a spirituality without acknowledging the concept or the idea of cults and what a cult is. For me, I think cults are really just sort of, I'm going to give you a a really strong definition later, but for me, cults are about evolving a mindset that keeps you trapped, that doesn't allow you to think, that doesn't allow you to um, independently change the culture of that environment and you know you're in a cult because you your influence on it is small or nothing so we can and and cults sound so they sound so exotic and interesting and they sound like you know you have to end with an fbi raid or something in order to actually be defined as a cult but i think you can actually find cults everywhere you can find a cult in pretty much every nuclear family um you can find a not every no not every nuclear family that's just me being a leo and saying words too strongly in some nuclear families so the, i think the idea of a nuclear family in itself produces a cult mentality where you you are in a mindset um of whatever that nuclear family has developed that is born out of you know it's because it's supposed to be you your parents and your two brothers and sisters that's what a nuclear family is 2.5 children and two parents and you're supposed to live alone in your house and inside that house there's a mindset and the you know your family was a cult in that you were unable to influence it when you came along you as a as a child your ideas your burgeoning self your the nature of who you are truly was unable to influence it because the rules were set in stone because the environment was set in stone because it was a very narrow view of the world and how do we produce families or nuclear families that are cults well usually it's because they're in an environment of culturally larger culture which is also cultish so i was born in 1962 i was born just before the revolution that broke the world out of a cult that came out of the fear of having just gone through a world war and that response was um narrowing down of roles so that women women were women there was such a thing as women and men that's starting to change that gender roles were strict that you had there was a binary gender there was a man or a woman and that was it there was no other gender that um, if you were in one of those genders you were strictly supposed to behave in what in particular ways men were supposed to be stoic and not home because they were working and providing and women were at home and they were supposed to be emotional and caretaking and have no needs of their own and so that's a cult mentality because it's very strict and um it doesn't, and you know that the, you're in a cult because if you want to influence it, you have to fight. So when you're not in a cult, 
you can influence it just by having an idea, just by having an inspiration, just by having a question, just by having a critical thought, which is, so we're doing it this way. Is this the best way? What is the outcome of doing it this way? Could we consider something else? If you're met with, huh, that's interesting. So yeah, I always thought that there were men and women, but you're saying there's more than men and women. Okay, cool. Let's all just be really divergently gendered. That sounds wonderful. Um, that then you know you're not in a cult. So what do we know, people? We're all in a cult because when people do that, when people say I, my gender is really complex and interesting, and although I was born born with the genitalia of a with a penis, um, I'd actually like to wear dresses and also play golf and also climb trees and also do all kinds of genderly diverse things, and I would like you to call me some other word altogether, um, like they. Uh, we have a big freak out and can't compute and can't understand it and we can't quite cope with it and then even in most in many cases become violent against that person so we can now now based on what i'm saying understand that we are actually currently still living in a cult because it is very hard to be culturally spiritually um genderly or role in my role diverse it's very hard without fighting for it when somebody asks me what i do i usually i don't usually go i'm a witch and a priestess because i don't i'm in a cult i, I know they're in a cult that doesn't understand that and won't allow me to do that what i say is i'm a psychic when a stranger asks me <laughs> and even that i mean someone asked me at the bank the other day what do you do and they were just you know i was like i'm a psychic there was a look on the face and then a slow like literally the guy slowly backed up away from me like I had just pulled a gun on him and walked away because I was a said I was a psychic so whatever cult he's in you're not allowed to be a psychic okay you're not allowed to have that influence so so just be aware that that those influences um, that you're, it's about your ability to impact or influence the culture that you're in that will define for you how much it's kind of gotten you into a brainwashed or cult situation. And I always like to say, it's really easy to brainwash someone. Brainwashing, your brain will go anywhere. You just give it enough evidence. Like, and it doesn't even have to be good evidence. It can be really like super um, culled out evidence that only shows this one little thing. And your brain will go, yeah, right. Well, that's logical. That makes total sense to me. Unless you've um, been trained to be a critical thinker and, and ask questions and say, yeah, but what about this? And what if we thought more complexly about this? So brainwashing is easy, but what you can't, you can't be is intuition washed. Your intuition always knows of its bullshit. Your gut knows. Your gut will know. So I want to, for the purposes of this podcast, read to you Marco Adler's piece on cults and how to recognize them from her book, Drawing Down the Moon. It's one of the books that came out in the 70s, I think, uh, where she did a beautiful survey of all different kinds of witches and druids and what does she say? Drawing down the moon, witches, druids, goddess worshippers, and other pagans in America, a guide to contem contemporary neo-paganism. Um, she's gone to be an ancestor. Hail Margot Adler. Get her book. It's good if you haven't read it. Um, here are her list of things that tell you if you're in a cult. And since I'm a spiritual leader, I really want people to not feel like they're in a cult. So I'd like them to know this and what you do as you go through it is you give it a scale of one to ten. Yes, I'm very much in a cult or 
one no not so much and here are the 14 things one internal control the amount of internal political power exercised by the leaders over members two wisdom claimed by your leaders the amount of infallibility declared about decisions so this is about a willingness to make mistakes Oi, the catholic church the pope's infallible that's a 10 catholic church you lose um <clears throat> three wisdom credited to leaders by members the amount of trust and decisions made by leaders is it absolute or not dogma four dogma the rigidity of reality concepts taught the amount of doctrine doctrinal inflexibility five recruiting the emphasis is put on attracting new members and the amount of proselytizing six front groups the number of subsidiary groups using names different from that of the main group seven wealth the amount of money and or property desired or obtained the degree of emphasis on members donations hello catholic church you're losing i'm passing the test though eight political power the amount of external political influence desired or obtained nine sexual manipulation of members by leaders the amount of control of sex lives of members 10 censorship the amount of control over other over members access to outside opinions on group its doctrines or its leaders yeah that's the one i was mostly going on about earlier 11 dropout control the intensity of efforts directed at preventing or returning dropouts so you can't leave 12 endorsements of violence when used by or for the group or its leaders oy no good 12 paranoia the amount of fear concerning real or imagined enemies and the perceiving powers the perceived powers of opponents so that goes back to that black and white thinking 14 grimness the amount of disapproval concerning jokes about the group its doctrines and its leaders yeah grimness is no fun you know in, in my culture we have a saying called dare to be dorky that was brought to us by sharon jackson and it's all about you can't you can't actually enter the craft unless you're willing to make a fool of yourself because it's silly i mean come on we're waving wands we're singing chants um so i guess i want to end this rant with the phrase please do dare to be dorky you can ask pomegranate you can ask pomegranate. My question is about somewhat about karma-ish ideas and lying. And when I say lying, I'm actually talking about really just, you know, lies that you use to make life a little easier, like lying on a rental application or lying uh, a little bit on the resume to get a job that you're definitely qualified for but don't have exact work history for it, things like that. Um, and whether or not that uh, is, you know, has a karmic issue. Um, I've had some people tell me, the reason I'm asking this is because I've never had a problem with it when it's involving that sort of bureaucracy world. Um, I'm not talking about lying to a friend. I'm not talking about lying in the way where I feel like it's a no-no. I have a line. I definitely have a boundary. Um, but I have talked to some people who say that 
they absolutely can never lie because it's something about them and they have bad karma around it. And I don't think I'm one of those people, but my curiosity, I guess my question is what is the deal with that? You know, and I, it doesn't take a genius to understand that in general, you know, lying to your friends is a bad thing or lying to people you care about or lying, you know, in a political situation. You know, there's definitely, I'd say 95% of lying is probably a bad idea. But, you know, I'm just curious about the little details on what does it mean and then, you know, is it, am I accruing bad karma by, say, lying on an application? Um, is a straightforward question. And another one is, is there, what is the difference between people who seem to be karmically able to do those kind of lies and some people who cannot say like, and I feel like this goes into the same place as like shoplifting for out of necessity and stuff like that. Um, some people just straight up can't do it and some people can. And I'm just curious what you think about that whole shebangabang. The reason that this whole idea got sparked is because I got this letter in the mail by the uh, Multnomah County and they were telling me that I had to pay money to prove that my cat exists and do this whole licensing fee, which I was really annoyed with, all because a vet talked me into getting my cat a vaccination shot that I didn't even want her to have. And so I agreed to this rabies shot, and then they sent my info to the county, which I didn't know about. Apparently now my cat's licensed, and they want me to pay money. And so I thought, well, why don't I just lie and say that I don't have a cat anymore or something like that? And then I had this feeling, ooh, that would be a really bad thing to say because I absolutely love and adore my cat. So how could I ever speak poorly of her in that way? And, like, rabies, because there's no rabies in Multnomah County anyway. I still haven't responded to the county. I'm annoyed still. Um, anyway, there you go. Bye! The question is really about truth versus lying versus truthiness, I guess. <laughs> um, so where's the line? And the question is a good one because it's really asking, um, how do I use my words, my intentions, my thoughts, my um, ideas, my self-concepts to carve out a life. Because the way you think about yourself, the way that you express yourself, what you talk about, um, will carve the life for you, you know, and that even more so for your secret thoughts and your hidden thoughts and your everything that's in the subconscious realm or even in the, you know, hidden parts that you know about, but you don't tell anybody about else about those you know the the deeper down you plant your seeds the more they will sprout later you know that sort of idea of what you put in the shadows will manifest in your life um that's why the principle of what you're afraid of will become the will become unexamined fears will actually manifest themselves more powerfully than casual dreams especially a dream that you're telling others about because it goes deeper and the roots spread and you know, so your unconscious fears, not unconscious, subconscious fears will blossom all around you. And you want to know what you're afraid of. Just look at what you have in your life that you don't want. What you have in your life that you don't want is what you're afraid of. 
that you haven't examined. Now, does that mean you're cursed by your own thoughts? Kind of. But what it really means is be aware of your fears. Become aware of what you fear. And the other thing is become aware of what you... Um, this is not answering the question at all. However, I'm talking, so I'll just keep talking. Um, what you... What you uh, be aware of your daymares. If you have a habit of generating daymares, you know, we have a habit of generating daydreams. And daydreams are um, gateways into the psychic realm. And also their manifestation techniques. They're ways of bringing into the world what you want. Just allowing yourself to softly dream it and uh, then turning it over works. But daymares work even more because there's more en energy behind them. So I always talk about magic being nine parts intention. The other part is energy. And daymares um, have more energy than a daydream because daydreams are kind of soft and lovely and floaty and gentle. And they completely work for manifesting. But daymares will work even more intensively because you're like, you know, basically building up a big drama for yourself <laughs> and about the horrible thing that can happen. Now, does that mean you never should have like, is this <laughs> you never should have an impure thought. <laughs> it's like really kind of all of this is about the thought police. Um, it's about letting yourself drift and think things. No, it doesn't mean any, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have an impure thought. It just means that once you notice you're having a daymare, which I'm a queen of, cause I'm like, my heritage is Irish. So <laughs> I'm the queen of daymares. Um, you notice, just notice it and then be like, okay, well, this is probably my fear trying to reveal itself to me rather than rejecting it and trying to stop it. Cause what all that does is put it back down into the shadows and where again, it will manifest in your life even better there. If you, if you're like, don't have that daymare, put it into the shadows. That's even more powerful than just having a plain daymare and letting yourself really run a scenario. Um, so when you have a daymare, you might want to just notice, okay, I'm having it. All right. So what's this about now? It could just be, you're trying to, your psyche's trying to work out problems that you foresee in your future. Cause you're going to have those problems. Or you have PTSD. PTSD people have unbidden daymares where they're suddenly triggered. If you have ever had PTSD, you know. La, 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 walking along, trigger, flood. I am now in a nightmare, a daymare. And I can't seem to realize that I'm not there, that I'm actually in a fine place because I just got triggered. That's a compulsive thing your brain does. It's actually a technique Um that Daniel Goldman talks about in his book, Emotional Intelligence. It's a technique uh, about trying to heal the trauma. It, it, in fact, there's techniques of healing trauma where you go over and over and over and over the incident until it becomes not associated with the response. But you can look that up in his book, Emotional Intelligence. And also go see a therapist if you have that, and, and a trauma therapist if you have that problem. Because that's going to make your life a living hell, and there's no reason to live that way. That can be healed. There's lots and lots of techniques now. We've got a handle on it. Um, so if you have that particular thing where you're having triggering, that can be healed. Just know that you can go do that. Um, but... Uh, so what you want to do is use those daymares to figure out what you're afraid of. If you figure out what you're afraid of, then you can go to the logical conclusion with it. If you have a fear, I am so not even answering this question at all. I'll get to it. Caller, I'll get to it. 
but I do want to say this. If you have a fear, it's a part of, it's an, it's a, your fear is in a part of your emotional bodies. This is spiritually speaking now. And your emotional body is like a water, it's your relationship to water. It's also your relationship to psychic information, emotional information, empathy, all of that. Um, deep no underneath all of these emotions are is this idea of deep knowing which is a really being associated and connected to source and that deep well of wisdom that everyone has access to um, it's that well of wisdom I use in my podcasts um, I'm not well, I'm special, but I'm not special in that everybody can get in touch with this deep well of wisdom. It's the place where all things are well, you know, and so on top of that rides our emotions, but you can't get to the well of wisdom unless you deal with your emotions. And fear is just asking you to please answer the question, am I safe? So how you do that is you say, what's the worst case scenario? I mean, usually your worst case scenario is kind of hysterically ridiculous and will be like not even possible, but you want to not just say, well, my worst case scenario is that I'll fall from an airplane. I'll plummet from, let's say I have fear of flying, that I will plummet out the door of an airplane while I'm leaning against it, something like that. Well, that's not likely to happen, but it doesn't work to just say, oh, that's unlikely to happen. Just say, well, if that happens, what will I do? Well, I will hopefully pay, play, say a prayer because I'm going to die now and I will meet that when I die, I will meet my maker with grace and I will say a prayer and I will enjoy the ride down or I'll just be terrified. But in the end, either way, I die. Okay. So we asked, asked and answered the question. That's the worst case scenario. And then you also want to ask, is that likely to happen? And then you have to figure out, is it likely that you will fall out of the door of the airplane while it's flying? Um, maybe do some research and find out how many people have done that this month. And there's another answer to your fear. You have to answer the fear. Give it information. It wants information. It wants to understand how how much the fear needs to keep going and alert you. Because its job is to alert you. Just like if you get a burn on your hand, that's your nerve endings alerting you to the fact that something's gone wrong. Please remove your hand from the stove. Right? That's all your emotions are trying to do for you. The question is actually not about that at all. I don't know how I got distracted by that. The question is about navigating a system um, and trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not true, what to say, what not to say. And so here, here we want to, I think the larger question is really about what is the nature of the universe in terms of uh, human ethics and morals? Because we're only talking about your human ethic and your human moral. So ethics... This is my definition. I could, it's ethics are what we would all kind of agree is wrong, and morals are what your little particular subculture agrees is right or wrong. And sometimes morals can overcome ethics. And so both of them are mutable because these are ideas in the human world experience. Um, and so we, you know, what I might think is immoral, you might think is moral. Um, so what, what does that mean? I mean, the fact that I might think it's wrong and you might think it's right, that sort of means that life is not a black and white scenario that we're not, you know, in some kind of chess game where there's a black piece and a white piece and we'll see who wins. Um, and notice the inherent racism in that. Cause even as I say that, right, immediately we've all been programmed to believe that, 
you know, black is bad and white is good. So not only is it racist, it's also not true. The world is not black and white. However, at the same time, lying for yourself can be detrimental to you, it can cause you to go uh, become a person who's, who doesn't value their own self. So it's really when you come up against bureaucracies, which are incredibly ridiculous, <laughs> um, you know, giants that are not non-rational entities. Okay. A bureaucracy is a non-rational entity. It is a thing that has grown out of a, a reactiveness to any given moment, right? We're going to have a reaction to this. Okay, we'll make a law for that. We'll have a reaction to this. We make a, and in, in a, I live in the United States. In the United States, we have a lot of laws um, because of, basically, we have a lot of laws because there is no universal health care here. Um, if we had universal health care, people wouldn't have had to sue in order to get basic needs met. So out of that comes this huge, giant law experience where there's these laws after laws and lawyers and litigation coming out of the fact that you, if you fall down, have to sue the person because you can't get basic health care. If you fall down, if someone falls down in front of my house, knock on wood, they can sue me because they can't get basic health care and they don't have the money. So they'll sue my ass, right? So that's litigation. That's how we've gotten into the litigious, litigious uh, culture that we're in in the United States from there being a lack of health care. I wish that would be brought into the conversation a little. So you're dealing with bureaucracies. Bureaucracies are big messes. They're made up with pe by people who are reacting to minuscule problems and trying to legislate or make laws or um, just make rules, you know. I mean, look at the IRS for heaven's sakes, right? It's not logical. It's not fair. Bureaucracies are hardly ever fair. They are always on the side of the people with the money because the people with the money are the people in charge of helping to make those laws go. So we're now into a bureaucratic nightmare. It's, you know, Dickens had it. This is why I want you all to read your Dickens because Dickens describes it very, very accurately. And the other thing about Dickens is he could be writing right now just as easily. So read your Dickens, people. Read your Great Expectations. You know who I'm, I had a conversation with someone the other night. You know who I'm talking to. <laughs> hope you're listening read your dickens okay what you what you need to realize is you're coming up against a bureaucracy so the question isn't do i lie to the bureaucracy it's like i don't know probably i mean when you got to navigate the thing you're not going to tell them everything what's it you know it's not all their business anyway and they're not it's not fair it's not they're not moral they're not ethical they've got all kinds of weird crap going on at the same time you don't want to ever if you can possibly avoid it me my rules are if you can avoid it do not ever get involved with the law <laughs> try as hard as you can to never be in a court case of any kind because as i said it's dickensian it's really scary and weird and not fair and also try the other thing i'll just put because i put these things two together if you can possibly avoid having surgery avoid having surgery these two things do bad things to your body or your soul because you get wrapped up in other people's worlds. If you have to have surgery though, if you've got cancer, if you've got something, you know, go ahead and have it. But if you can avoid it, if it's voluntary, try to avoid it because cutting your skin is harmful to your body. Um, it causes adhesions and all kinds of weird stuff happens. But if you have to do it, I've had, I've had surgery and that's why I say it, <laughs> but I had to. And so I'm glad I did. Okay, enough about surgery. So you want to avoid court cases. So when navigating these questions, avoid a court case. Um, 
the city is not going to come after you for the license on your cat. They're really not. Uh, you, it's up to you whether or not you feel licensing your cat is the right thing or not ethically and morally for you because they don't come after you. It's really kind of a voluntary thing. And um, so that's like neither here nor there. It's really up to you. Just ignore it. I mean, the worst thing will happen is they'll come at you again. Uh, I don't know. Does anybody license their cat? Is your cat licensed, Kayleen? Yeah, she is. I, as far as I can remember, I've paid that fee one time. I don't know if it's something I'm supposed yeah, to keep. Yeah, I did it too. I paid one time. Yeah. Probably you're supposed to keep doing well. There I've you go. Moved a bunch of times. Yeah, me too. I've moved. So. Um, I don't know. It's up to you if you believe in that, if that seems right to you. And if they keep harassing you, it's easier to pay the $35. Now, you said you don't have any money. I want you to understand that when you don't have any money and you're you will be dealing with more bureaucracies than the average Joe. You will have way farther resources than the average Joe to be able to handle them. And they will F you over because they don't care about poor people. Um, bureaucracies do not care if you're poor. They just care that you follow the letter of their rules. And so what I want you to understand is um, that when you're poor, you're in a, you're in a catch 22 where you can't get out of that situation you can't navigate it very well with money with the money because the rest of us just pay i'll just pay it i'll just pay this i'll just get out of it if i'm very rich then i'm just paying for the law to be changed um so there's a situation the poor are in that has to be recognized that in order to survive you absolutely have to become very good at navigating bureaucracies and very good at not telling them anything they don't need to know or responding to crap that you don't need to respond to because you cannot afford it and i'll say that as again it's all very gray isn't it at the same time i'll say now there's a way and i've been very poor Ugh, I want to say this in a way that doesn't make it sound like it's your fault fault that you're poor because I really don't mean that. But I do mean that as magical people, as witches and priestesses, which is what I am, you've got to recognize that you're holding yourself in po holding yourself as a poor person um, and seeing yourself as a victim of that actually reinforces that in your life. And I'm not talking about the fact, the true facts that if you're a woman, you get paid less. That if you're a wo woman, you don't get hired for things. If you're a black woman, you really don't get hired for things and a Latino. So these things are real. And at the same time, and I think everybody who's been poor or working poor as I grew up, um, I didn't know I was poor. I didn't know we were poor because I was rich in family. I was rich in community. I was rich in culture. So that was a way I hold, held myself. And I think everybody in my family held themselves as being very rich. And so I only figured it out later when I was like, oh my God, you know, we had no money <laughs> growing up. We were just like scraping by. My parents did amazingly well scraping by and not projecting onto us this kind of chronic fear and pain of poverty because we weren't in poverty, we were just working poor, which is different. Poverty is different than that. Now, if you're in poverty, you're kind of screwed. It's really hard to get out of poverty. But you can, the only way to really get out of it is, is to build richness in your community, richness in your relationships, richness. Your, your community can grow an economy together. My community is growing an economy together. And um, there's something so beautiful and valuable about that. 
but also don't think of yourself as poor. Don't let anybody tell you you're poor. And that's one thing navigating bureaucracies tells you, or when you get pay for your cat's license and you're like, uh, I'd rather buy food this week, you know? And so if there's any kind of question between your basic resources, your food, your basic medical care, your housing, your cat's health and paying that cat license, you tell me what's ethical. I mean, come on, it's obvious you don't pay that license. Who cares? What you pay for is your own well-being and your cat's well-being and your children's well-being. That's what you pay for. And that's the moral and ethically right choice. So we have to navigate our way through these gray areas. And we allow for gray areas because gray areas help us from being involved in black and white thinking, rigidity, which is what fundamentalism is. Fundamentalism is rigidity. It's like, what are the people who are fundamentalists just want to know what the rules are. They want things to be simplified. And so they keep looking for the rules. They want the right and the wrong. This is right and that's wrong. Being gay is right or being gay is wrong. Um, which one is it, right? And so, it's, and it's because it, it's born out of a deep-seated, unprocessed and unreal, un, un, un understood fear that need for rules comes from a deep insecurity i need to feel know what's right and what's wrong just so i can get it right and be all right and be perfect and so that becomes an ongoing perfectionism and perfectionism as we know is a way to cover up vulnerability you don't want to be vulnerable because you're too insecure to be vulnerable so that fundamentalism grows but the problem with it is every time you get the answer this is right and that's wrong the subtleties come back in, the complexities start to merge back in. So you have to become more strict. No, no, that's right. And that's wrong. And then more strict. That's right. And that's wrong. And that's how you get into these incredibly insane fundamentalist thinking. Um, because that, and that, that is a way for you also to get oppressed. Fundamentalism is a, a, an oppressive force born out of insecurity. And so what we have to do to fight that is allow for vast complexities of grays and subtle colors. And we have to allow for ourselves to navigate through our own intuition and our own sense of our own ethics. We have to be asking those questions. What are the subtleties? We have to become complex. We have to allow ourselves to become complex. The more complex we are, the less uh, prone to oppression we are. And so I, I can't tell you, yes, it's wrong to, to pay for that license or yes, it's right. I don't know. It's a complex such situation. I have to know the complexities to answer that. And so, and you gave me some, so, and I did answer it. But I want, what I want to say is allow yourself to be in a complex situation that maybe you don't even know the answer to, that you can't figure it out with your brain, and you don't even know what the moral code is. That's perfect. Boy, are you ever immune to oppression and cult mindsets when you're like that? And so then what we can do is you don't, you can, yes, you can come to your elders. I'm an elder in the community. You can come to your advisors. I'm an advisor. But in the end, it doesn't matter what I say. Check your gut because only your gut knows what's right for you. So for you, if it's an act of saying, you know what, I choose to be wealthy in my body, mind, and soul, I'll play that. I'm going to pay that bill and it's going to feel good. Or if it's like, no, I'm not paying that bill. I'm going to take my cat to the vet and get the other vaccinations that it needs uh, that are real. That's what I'm going to use that $35 for. Then that's what you do. But it's about listening to your own authentic voice, which is not in your head. It's in your gut. Yes, no, maybe. Hashtag yes, no, maybe. <laughs> Thanks for that question.
five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two ninety nine twenty two Hello, Palm. Uh, my name is JP, and I have a question for you. In my previous uh, craft education, I learned about spell crafting and the idea of once you cast the spell, you don't want to think about it. So you want to kind of forget about it and not necessarily take action. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are around that. Thank you. Hey, JP. Spell casting. What is spell casting? Spell casting is setting your intention with your thoughts, your energy, and then calling in outside resources to support and help you in calling in a specific idea or experience or reality, calling in a specific reality, really. You want to change your reality. You want to change the reality. Okay, so that's basically what a spell is. That's how I would define it. And so how do we do it? What do we do once we've done it? There's lots and lots of ways. It's very old. I mean, it's as old as it's as old as human beings are. We followed the moon cycles. That was the most dramatic experience of our lives because all of the women with uterus or the people with uteruses uh, would have uh, their menstrual cycle follow the moon because we all lived together and there was no interfering lights and we were all synced up. You know how we all get synced up when you have a uterus. And that moon became a thing that we worked with and we followed its cycles. And then out of that came basically all of our spirituality is the cycle of the moon relating to the cycle cycles of the earth. And those two things became our spiritual reality. This is the fundamental first spirituality of all of the humans. And from that place, we understood our relationship. We began to understand our relationship. And also it's my experience that the, our ancestors, our first ancestors really had a much more profound, deep perception of magic in the world compared to what we have. We're basically um, Helen Keller, (laughs) uh, magically speaking or spiritually speaking, compared to our ancestors. Like we can't see, hear, uh, well, she could taste, see, hear, or speak about it. But what we can do is um, perceive through other methods, (laughs) right? So spells came out of that relationship where like you started to realize what you dreamed about or what you thought about and your spiritual message that you got from the earth or from the moon or from, you know, and the moon would become a goddess and the earth would become a goddess. They would become something bigger than you that influenced your life very heavily. So when you're doing a spell, you want to start with a need and you want that need, want desire to come from a place of wisdom so and it doesn't mean it has to be serious it doesn't have to be serious people it can be fun or frivolous like the desire could just be i would like to manifest a fun event full of children in balloons it'd be really fun like it doesn't have to be serious but it does have to come from a core sense of self so um that's why we work so hard in the craft and through magic to really clear out Uh, negativity, self-hatred, to 
understand and clear our jealousies and our envies and our desperations and our neediness. And this is why mental and emotional health is so important in the craft because you want to be doing magic with a clear vessel. The vessel is your psyche or spiritual state. And um, so when we do spell work, what we're taking is from our fire bodies. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about bodies. Why previously talked about water bodies, the emotional state, the psychic state, the deep well of knowing. And with spell working, you use your fire body, which is the place of your energy system. So this is like your vital life force. This is your chi. This is where you're born. And you know, you have, you fall into the cycles of life. You wake up, you fall asleep, you wake up, you fall asleep because your fire body rises in the morning and then falls down in the afternoon and rises again for the evening and then falls down for the evening. And it's that vital life force that we get from our chi, from the, from being in nature, from eating, from people. It's also just your electrical synapses. This is all your energy that runs through your body because basically you're a giant electrical storm constantly going on. This is that electrical storm that allows your heart to beat. And that is uh, your fire body, which is also your energy, your creative vital life force. It's also your hostility. Hostility, here's a side note. Hostility is not an emotion. Hostility is not anger. Anger might call up hostility. Anger belongs in the water body. Anger is a feeling of, I don't like this, which means I need to a boundary has been crossed or is about to be crossed. I need to reassert my boundary, whatever that is. So when you're resentful or angry, that's what that's where, and that's at, in the water body. It's a very different place. Hostility is, I am need to defend my territory. <laughs> this is now dangerous. And up comes my hostility and my hostility comes out of my fire body. And it's that need to defend and, and, and take care of yourself and defend whatever it is you need to defend yourself, your family, your land, whatever it is. Right. And hostility is in the fire. It's in the energy. And so that's where that lies too. And it's perfectly fine and we don't need to judge it. We just need to use it wisely because when we use it unwisely, we get wars. That's the ultimate outcome of misguided hostility mixed with greed and a lot of demons running around. So, um, so that's the fire body. So when we do a spell, what we're going to do is we're going to have an intention. The intention has to come from our deep wisdom. The intention has to come from, we have to put it through our intuition and be like, you know, like, right. Like I could do, I could see myself doing an intention where I would, want to say bind the Koch brothers because from my perspective in my gray area of my ethical and moral world, I see them as basically evil. And so from my, from that perspective, I might have this idea in my head. I will take my magic and I will bind them and I will stop them from being evil. And when we do spell working, we want to make sure we want to do, when we do something to another that we would like it to be done to ourselves. So if I say, I will bind the Koch brothers, look them up. If you don't know who I'm talking about, they are really not very good. What they're doing They're, in my opinion, they're zombies and they're, instead of eating your brain, they want to eat your planet. Um, I would say, Oh, they're doing evil. I don't want to do evil. So I'll, sure. I'll bind them against doing evil or I'll bind them against fracking. I won't frack. Um, I'll bind them against, uh, politically supporting the party that they choose. Ooh, wait a minute. 
maybe I want to support my party, the political party that I choose. Hmm. So we start thinking about all that. Okay, well, let's decide. I decide I'm going to do it anyway. So um, that's an idea I have in my head. Maybe it's a great idea. Maybe some witches are out there doing it right now. I don't know. But I won't ever do that. And why won't I ever do that? Because I'm just, that's just an idea in my head. As soon as I put that into my gut and go, is that a good idea? Is that my deepest wisdom? Is that my work on earth? Is, or as I like to say, is this my business? Because I'm here and I have limited resources. I've only got, I've got time and space and energy limited. I have to use them wisely. When I put those through my gut and go, is this my business? The cancer comes back, no. The Koch brothers are not your business. And the karma that you will incur when you bind them will set you off track and will turn you in a, I mean, just such a mess. Plus, when you bind someone, like, you uh, attach yourself to them for the rest of your life. So you'll be karmically bound to that person for the rest of your life, possibly into other lives. So there's many reasons not to do it. Um, mostly, your gut's going to tell you no. It's not your business. So then when we do a spell, we want to be able to do one that is our business. So we say, I will do a spell and I will say, yes, this is my business. So, and also you, when you're focused, when we're, you politicos out there, cause I'm a magical, magically, I am magically politically, I'm a magically, what, how am I saying this? I'm a magically politically active person. I do magical politics. My politics are done magically. Uh, you understand what I'm saying. Um, when you're one of those people, which I am, then you want to be really casting not so much against, 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 against as growing the world that you want to be. Because what's happening is that culture is dying. The culture of oppression, the culture of hatred, the culture of black and white fundamentalism is dying. And I can get in there and help it die, but that's actually not my business. My business is, is over here, unseen by you people, who are trying to kill everything I love, I am growing a new culture. And so as I grow that new culture um, and the other one dies, mine emerges. And that I have seen in my lifetime because I've been doing this for 30 years now and my culture is really emerging. And mine and all the other hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who are involved in this culture we're growing is really emerging. And it's beautiful. You can really see it in my city, Portland, Oregon. I mean, man, it's good. It's happening. Now, is there problems? Sure, there's problems. But what is beautiful is beautiful. Because there's problems, it doesn't diminish what's beautiful. Left, uh, lefties, can we remember this? Can we allow ourselves on the left to see the beauty? Because it's really not magically great to always be focused on the dying dinosaur. If it's your job to get in there and help it die, do it. I support you. I'm vitally for you. Please go do it. But if it's my job to grow the culture that's emerging, let me do that too and let it be beautiful. You know, we can see the ugly, but we can also, that's what we're good at on the left, seeing the ugly. But we can, we really need to be able to see the beauty. Otherwise, what's the point? you know, dancing, revolution, all that. So anyway, back to your question of spell working. So we want to think about, is this spell right in alignment with my work? Is it my business? If you get a yes on that, am I willing to take the consequences of this, uh, what I'm choosing to do? Am I willing to live inside of that world? Because whatever you're doing to another or casting forward for yourself and others, you will live in. Um, so do I want to live in it? Um, I've made some mistakes with that over time. <laughs>
if you don't, if you, if you make that mistake, just learn and change it the next time. <laughs> I've made that mistake. I learned. Okay. So those two things then, so then you set your intention, be really clear what your intention is, make it positive rather than negative. So rather than I want world hunger, I want everybody who is causing world hunger to suffer and die and stop doing it rather than I want, I call in the power of, uh, being fed. I call in the plants and the animals that want to be eaten. I call them in and I, and I call in that we are all of the beings of the planet are fed. Try to think large, large, think outside of just humans. Think of the systems. So think positively, put it in a, a positive way because you're growing a new culture. So when you grow that new culture, make sure it's one you want to live in. Um, and it's not really focused on the poison of the other culture that you're that is allowed that is being allowed to die now and then once you do the spell you you want to you want to get assistance so you want to call in a deity you want to call in the power of the earth the air the water the sea you want to call in the magic of knotting if you can and i mean literally tying knots so that's numerology so we call in one two three four five six seven eight nine one in those numbers each one has a different one you can check out numerology from what's the name of her book? Lennis McCant is a woman who writes on numerology and I think it's by the numbers. Just look up Glennis McCant. Um, use numerology, use plants. So use sage and rosemary and roses. Use plants to support it because the more outside energy you call on to support it, the less comes from your chi and you want to do use as little of your chi as you can when doing magic. It's a real easy mistake to do a lot of magic and use up all your chi and then get sick because you're using your limited vital life force that you came in with that allows you to live. And there's so much more energy out there. Um, do it inside of a magical circle. And when you've done it, let it go. That's really essential. So when you've done it, you've you've tied the knots or you've burned the spell or you sent the letter through a fire or you've um, buried it or you've thr thrown it in the river, whatever you've done with your spell or you've put it on um, your altar, then you let it go. You And one way to think about this is to turn it over to the deity that you're working with. Just like, all right. And then we always say um, this or better because your brain is small and can't think big and think think as big as the goddess can think for you this or better and we also say this spell bound round shall be to harm no one nor return on me as i do will so mote it be and that's very traditional and that's like basically if i screwed up this spell i mean my intentions are good uh, i don't want it to harm anybody then, but if I kind of got it wrong, make sure it doesn't go wrong. I call in the spirits to make sure it doesn't go wrong. I said it right. To harm no one, nor return on me. The creed is do as I will. That's my power. I get to do what I will, what I want to do. Because I'm the, I'm the high priestess of my life. You're the high priest of your life. Harm no one, nor return on me. So I don't want it to go out and harm anybody. And I also really don't want it to come back on me. <laughs> I mean, you got to put yourself first, right? Um, so we always do that. And so mode it be. So, so may it be. So may that happen. And we let it go. 
and really let it go because in magical terms, time is very different. And so some things that I set in motion 20 years ago have only just manifest. And so getting impatient just pulls the spell back to you and doesn't allow it to fly, disperse, become what it is. Um, correct for any mistakes you made. <laughs> and also, you know, you want to be in the right karma. You want to take the right action at the right time. You don't, it's not out of your willfulness. It's not out of your chi. It's not out of your energy that this manifests. This is about letting the universe know, hey, universe, I am here. I'm a witch. I'm a priestess. And I would like to influence the nature of the human experience and therefore the world's. And I have that power because I am a priestess. That's where it's coming from. You're just an influence. You're suggesting. It's like the Black Panthers. I don't know why they popped in my head all of a sudden, but the Black Panthers, who, you know, the media has completely derided in, a, you know, the gun thing. I'm Canadian. I don't like guns. But they started Head Start. Like, you know what I'm saying? They started the idea that kids need food in the morning for breakfast before they can go to school. And it became a huge influence in the world, in, the, in our world, in, in America, in our culture. Like, people don't remember that, but that's what they were doing. <laughs> you know, all you have to do is look up everything they did. It was all awesome. It was really great. I mean, I get being black and oppressed in the culture and needing to be militarized, but what we have to, but it kind of hides what they actually did. Um, which was amazing. So just think that way and think healing, think long-term, think about everybody. And is this my business and let it go, honey, let it go. It's always helpful when practicing magic to have herbs and tools. And I'd like to recommend to you my friend, Sarah Preston's business, which is herbs from the labyrinth at herbsfromthelabyrinth.com. And she also has a shop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, if you happen to be nearby with classes and she has all her herbs and sprays there. She makes them herself. And a lot of them come from her labyrinth. They're very magical and powerful. Herbsfromthelabyrinth.com or you can call her at 717-290-1517 717-290-1517 Herbs from the Labyrinth for all your magical needs. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. Hi pomegranate, this is Erin in Seattle. Um, I had a question about horror movies. I often get teased by my friends for not liking horror movies and yet when I watch them, I get a really bad feeling and um, I feel almost haunted by them or just um, like I'm being followed around by negative energy. And um, from what I understand, people tend to enjoy that feeling, but I'm not sure if I'm just more sensitive to them than other people or if this is a real thing. Um or what is going on exactly. So if you could speak to that, I would love to hear what you have to say. Um, thanks. Bye. Horror movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't like them. Um, I think if I had my way, I would eliminate them. But that would be a mistake <laughs> if I 
have the power to eliminate horror movies. They function for a lot of different ways culturally. Um, watching them, okay, here's the thing. Your TV, your laptop, your telephone are three, it's like basically you go into your house and you take a giant bulldozer and you bulldoze a giant hole in your wall when you turn them on. And the giant hole doesn't lead to your nice backyard. It leads to the worst, craziest crossroads where anything can happen and anything can come through that giant hole. I mean, basically, magically speaking, that's what they are. So you turn your TV on and it opens this giant hole and then you choose a horror movie and then you're like, you're letting into your home, into your life, all of the weird, creepy, psychotic shit that that has been generated by those artists have now been generated to a point where the energies now fly into your house and fly into your life. And yeah, if they're, if they're done well with somebody who actually is tapping into a real energy, then they can come in and then not just evaporate, you know, because most things that come into your home through those portals come in and they pour in and they influence you for a little while, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes to an hour. And then they kind of evaporate and then they go. And if you do that enough, like if you see enough TV commercials about how being skinny woman is the important thing and that your value is entirely from how you look. Yes. Over time that actually starts to shape who you are. So even those little influences over time repeated enough fly in and change your life um, and change your sense of self. And when you don't see images of old women or fat women or, um, you know, disabled people or black people or any, you know, different kinds of cultures. Yeah. Over time you start to see the world through that lens. It's true. So even the subtle ones, even though they might evaporate soon repeated are very powerful. So it's a big, powerful thing. And if you tap into a horror movie and you allow that into your house, that comes into your life and you can actually start, you could actually get haunted because what it will do is also along with it come some real ghosts and some real demons and some real weird spiritual. I mean, there's a lot of weird spiritual energies on the earth is a complex place spiritually. And there's a lot of weird spiritual energies flying around. Like I don't, pretend to know them all. Like I deal with them, but I don't pretend to know them all. And those energies can get attracted when the energy gets flying up. So f f magically speaking, it's suddenly a light goes on when a horror movie gets turned on and it's got written by somebody who can really write and somebody who's tapped into something magical because don't forget writers are talking to muses and muses are magical beings and muses will tap into real things and bring energy through. And when you tap into those things, sort of a light goes on around that TV set and it's a from a magical perspective a giant hole and a bright light and in coming to your house not only the stuff that's coming in through that particular movie but also stuff that's attracted to it so it's complex and if you're super psychically sensitive like I am so psychically sensitive it's crazy it can totally flood you and inundate you and also you might be a person whom it goes deep in i know for me it's really hard to see anything that's violent uh or too 
something too intense because it goes into my psyche and will not ever leave. Like I will never lose that image. I will never lose that, that information. And while there's information out there that's important to know, there's also information I actually can't allow in because I actually experience it um, on a level that's like 20% of the actual thing happening. So I don't need that. I don't need to be walking around with the injuries of others in my body. That's not my job. So yeah, it's, dangerous. So I would like to stop them. How can we stop them? I, I will do a spell. No, I won't. Why won't I do a spell? Because, um, it's also important <laughs> because it's really vitally important. So during the, what, where do they go to war? I want to say Iraq. When they were doing the Iraqi war and you had all of that horrible torture and stuff that was going on, one thing that you saw in the culture emerging were horror movies about torture. Being trapped, being tortured. Like basically you could take the Saw movies, look at them and go and put them beside what happened to actual people in Iran, Iraq. Uh, during that period, they were simultaneously coming out and you could say, this is what's happening to those people. So one, another thing that those artists are doing is actually delving, especially horror movies, is delving down into the unconscious realms, the subconscious realms, going down into the underbelly, the shadow bits of the American culture, because, you know, let's face it, it's a machine of destruction on some level. The military, the, the military powers in America are a machine of destruction. Delving down into those you know, people happily sending out orders to torture and bringing it up to the surface and going, look what's going on. So if you want to know what's going on in the, the, <laughs> it's a little bit like men in black, but if you want to know what's going on in the subconscious or the hidden realms of the American uh, government, you know, do look at horror movies, do look at those, all of those movies, because they're talking about something real that's being hidden, that's being not talked about, that's being, or, or, as, or as Dick Cheney likes to do, um, oh, hi, uh, it's all fine, what's your problem? I'm a Dick Cheney, I get to, you know, torture people, what's your problem? You seem to have something wrong with you. He likes to brainwash people and, and mesmerize them into believing that his insanity, and I say this, his insanity, this man is insane, is fine. And I, you know, we've got to crack through that lie. There's a lot of lies that have to be cracked through. And that's one function of all of the mystery shows, the horror shows, the vampire shows, the zombie shows. It's all about what's going on, what's happening um, subconsciously, and also magically, what's in the underworld magically. Uh, so yeah, they're really important. And it's important that they're being made and I'm glad somebody feels like watching them I do, I do not and you don't have to either and if you're psychically sensitive you shouldn't be because yeah it's a real thing so what do you do if you want to watch them what do you mean what are you going to do anyway because you got these portals in your house I mean they're bigger than your front back door and you lock those at night don't you so <laughs> you want to lock put a lock on these things they're dangerous so what you want to do is you want to a simple way, and I think I've talked about this in another podcast, which is a simple way to do a spell. What you do is just um, rub your pants together, and that generates energy. And then also just, you know, grab some energy from the air and the people around you and the energy around you. Just grab a little energy and put it in your hands and rub them together until you feel like a ball of energy has come up. And you 
say I need a ward, W-A-R-D, I need a ward, and imagine what that ward would look like. Pick something, anything, and a bee or a hornet or a snake or whatever. Or I have these little tiny um, God figurines that I like to imagine. And you, until you feel that energy go, and then you say, okay, your job is to guardian my TV. Your job is, now what next one? Your job is to guardian my laptop, my, my telephone, my mirrors, my doors, my windows. You know, you have to do this for each place, get a new ward. And then you want to, as you get that ward, you want to feel it grow and then drop a grounding cord into the earth so the ward gets its power and energy from the earth, not you. And then set it to that uh, TV so that either you turn it off as soon as something wrong goes on. Because there's a lot of witchcraft shows and they're actually doing, accidentally doing witchcraft. And like as soon as it comes on, there's some times when I've watched True Blood. I watched True Blood um, where I've had to turn it. I'm like, oh, True Blood, too much like a real spell. Turn it off. I don't want that in my house. Um, the war, it's, not, it's too big for the wards to handle. And you set the ward on that TV and you say, okay, protect me from whatever might come through there. And that way you close the door on that big gaping hole and it's got a lock on it and you only open it up um, to what you want to influence you in your life. So you do that. And then like what I like to do is like stick a little penny on there or get a little figurine and sit it on top of the TV or a little sticker. And these things hold the energy of that ward and remind you that you're being protected. So that's what I would do with that. And also probably for you, don't watch horror movies because you don't need to know because you're already in touch and you already know that's going on. But many people are in denial and don't know and they need to understand how scary it is in reality. Um, the evil that is you know, practicing its nature on the earth. It's always helpful when practicing magic to have herbs and tools. And I'd like to recommend to you my friend Sarah Preston's business, which is Herbs from the Labyrinth at herbsfromthelabyrinth.com. And she also has a shop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, if you happen to be nearby with classes. And she has all her herbs and sprays there. She makes them herself. And a lot of them come from her labyrinth. They're very magical and powerful. Herbsfromthelabyrinth.com. Or you can call her at 717-290-1517-717-290-1517. Herbs from the Labyrinth for all your magical needs. Thank you, my darlings, my dears, for another fantastic podcast and all your great questions. Remember, dare to be dorky, dare to daydream, and listen to your inner wisdom. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She